And Charles, uh, as you know, there, there are sometimes you just don't have to preach that long. But the music's that good, and you just don't have to get in the way of what God's already doing. You just get done quickly. So hopefully we'll be successful with that today. Well, I am Anthony McPhail. I am uh, the third piece of the three-headed monster that is called the pastoral staff here at Martha Bowman, along with Tim and John. And uh, I am excited about today because we are uh, wrapping up our series, The Four Truths, and we are culminating with the truth, there is a heaven. And you, you might be asking, um, there really is a heaven. How did we decide that this was true? Well, the way that we decided that this was true was every Monday afternoon, we have preacher meetings. And so Tim, John, and I, we all three get together and... Sometimes as a discussion starter, Tim's sitting at his computer and he's, he's got this real serious focused look on and he starts asking really obvious questions. Um, and so I, I don't know what happens, Tim, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think John must have a big piece of chocolate cake at lunch because John's always in a really giddy mood. And so John, John's up there and he, he's ready to roll and, he, and we're just kind of firing back at Tim as he asks these really obvious questions. We come back with really obvious answers. Um, he says that we're sarcastic. We just say that we're answering the questions. And so we answered the question that he asked a, a week or two ago. How do we know that it's true that there is a heaven? And we, we just went straight Sunday school answer on Tim. We said, because Jesus said that there was a heaven. You like that? That, that, that good grounds for believing that that's true? So that, that's what we came up with. We decided that it was true because Jesus said it was true. If Jesus said it was true, it must be true. And so we kind of concluded right away, we don't really have to argue much about the fact that there is a heaven. Uh, Jesus said that it was true, so it must be true. And in fact, even people who are skeptical of the Christian faith, for the most part, most people believe that there is a God. And if there is a God, uh, it stands to reason that God must be somewhere. And so throughout Scripture, that place is known as heaven. Throughout Scripture, heaven is the place that is known where God dwells. That is where God's presence is. In fact, the biblical narrative begins with God creating the heavens and the earth, and it ends with God creating a new heaven and a new earth. And everywhere in between, there are constant references to heaven and never once does it really seem to be questioned whether there's a heaven or not. And so, as we turn to that truth, we establish to begin with that it is true. What do we talk about in a sermon uh, about the fact that there is a heaven? If we're going to talk about this truth, what do we talk about in that? Now, if we were doing a Bible study, uh, there are a lot of different things that we might talk about trying to define what heaven is like. And most of us have taken our guesses over the years as to what heaven might be like. And a lot of us like to come up with utopian ideas of what heaven is going to be like. Uh, for me, the first time I ever had one of those cream cheese filled wonton things from the Chinese restaurant. You know what I'm talking about? First time I tried one, I said, this has to be served in heaven. There's no other possible explanation for how good this is. And the awesome thing about heaven is they don't count calories or cholesterol in heaven. And so it stands to reason this must be a part of heaven. And we, we all kind of joke around and we, we, we tend to think of our own personal paradise. And we think, 
well, in my heaven, they'll have this. In my heaven, there's going to be this. We have songs that talk about what heaven is going to be like. We have songs that, that imagine, uh, oh, this is like heaven. And we probably all have heard bad jokes about heaven. Raise your hand if you've ever heard a bad joke about heaven. Now, the worst one I think I've ever heard, um, you can't just reference it and not tell one. Um, so th this is incredibly uh, not true. It, it's a complete joke. I don't mean to be serious about this in any such way. But there, there is an old joke uh, that I heard probably about 15 years ago when Steve Spurrier was still the head coach of the University of Florida. And the joke goes like this. Steve Spurrier dies and goes to heaven. That's not the joke. Um, Steve Spurrier dies and goes to heaven. And while he's there, um, he's being shown around by St. Peter, and he sees this really, you know, cute-looking house that's got an Auburn flag, and St. Peter's like, that's Pat Dye's house, and then there's one with an FSU flag, and it's like, that's Bobby Bowden's house, and, and he gets to his, and there's this University of Florida flag there, and uh, he and they go, this is your house, this is your, your mansion here in heaven. And so he, he's looking at it, and then he sees this other big house off in the distance, and it's got a Georgia flag. And he said, how did, how did Vince Dooley get that big of a house? And, and St. Peter goes, that's God's house. Now, if you, if you think for a second that God is a Georgia fan, you have not watched football the past 30 years. Um, I'm convinced he's not. Um, but it's... it's it's a bad joke. It's a really bad joke. But we've all heard jokes along that line, envisioning this reality um, that, that's kind of this make-believe, pie-in-the-sky kind of place. And there are also some good guesses that we take as to what heaven is like. I remember doing, back in the fall, I did a Bible study on the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. And each one begins this way. The kingdom of heaven is light. And... So we asked the question in our very first session, how would you fill in the blank? The kingdom of heaven is like. And so there were some really good guesses that were taken. People talked about a place where there's no more suffering. People talked about a place where there's streets of gold, a place where there's eternal joy. And then uh, my favorite response, one of our members blurted out, it's a place where there are no more corrupt politicians. And we all kind of cracked up and John Horton said amen and amen. And it is this view of what heaven is like that, that we get a little mesmerized by. And if we were going to do a Bible study on it, I think we would have a good time describing it. We would point to Revelation, and we would point to Revelation 21, 4, where it says, He will wipe away tears from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no mourning, crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's a place with no more suffering. And indeed, as we mourn the loss of loved ones, that's a message that we turn towards. As we think about the suffering in the world, as we think about the earthquake from just a couple of days ago in Nepal, uh, we long for a place like that, where there's no more suffering, no more pain. We think about the fact that there's going to be a new body for us. 2 Corinthians 5 points to this. It says, we know that if the tent that we live in on earth is torn down, we have a building from God. It's a house that isn't handmade. It's eternal and located in heaven. We groan while we live in this residence. We really want to dress ourselves with our building from heaven. And the word building there 
is actually the, the word that you use as our body being a host for the Holy Spirit. And so it's that idea of when we get to heaven, we'll have new bodies that aren't going to suffer from diseases, aren't going to be faced with pain, but are going to be eternal and filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with joy. Yes, if we were doing a Bible study on it and we were trying to describe heaven, we would talk about the streets of gold. We would talk about all the rivers of life. We would talk about the fact that there's constant worship of God in the throne room. But I'm not sure that's the direction we're supposed to go today. Uh, you can search a Bible. You can look up and read all the verses that there are about what heaven is like. But for us as a church, for us as Christians, I think that the question is a little bit bigger than that. Because as I tried to wrap my mind around what heaven is like, this past week, I was reminded of a line from the movie Rudy. Uh, came out in the early 90s about a guy who walked on at Notre Dame on the football team. And in a moment of distress, he talked to one of the priests at Notre Dame, Father Kavanaugh. And Father Kavanaugh says to him, Son, in 35 years of religious study, I have come up with two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. And if I were to paraphrase that, on our discussion of heaven, I would say this. Church, in about 35 hours of studying heaven, I have come up with two hard and controversial facts. There is a heaven, and this ain't it. Because I believe that describing heaven is something we're all just going to kind of take guesses at. The question for us, that I think is a little bit bigger, is if there is a heaven, if we believe that that's true, why does it matter? Why does it matter to us while we're on this earth? And why is it something that we should look forward to? If we want to go to heaven one day, how do we get there? And what do we do in the meantime? Now, in answering these questions, I believe that our passage that Charles read for us today has a lot to say to us in just a few short verses without even really talking about the word heaven. Jesus says a lot about heaven and about these questions that arise as we think about heaven. Jesus was preparing for his upcoming death on the cross, and he's giving a little bit of his farewell address. It goes on for a few chapters in the Gospel of John, and he begins with these words. Don't be troubled. As, as Charles read it from the King James, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we use these words as comfort as at funerals. We point to them as hope that God is in control and that we can trust in a higher power. But I believe that the source of this hope, as Jesus elaborates, is found in the realization that God has a place for us. He has a home prepared for us. He has a dwelling place that's eternal. And there's plenty of room available in God's kingdom for us. Now, a true home is one of our most natural longings. You think about a soldier sleeping under the stars on the battlefield, dreaming of going home one day, writing letters home. You think about a child that's faced with abuse and how they long for a home where they're loved and they no longer suffer. We see it in movies like The Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. And these words had an especially incredible ring to them for Jesus' disciples because they had left their homes. To follow this teacher who was ridiculed 
They were persecuted, and they would face even greater persecution as they went on from there after his death and resurrection. Home is an incredible idea. And that's what Jesus reminds us is our ultimate hope, is that there is a home prepared for us. There is a home beyond this life, so we have no need for our hearts to be troubled. And it, it's this longing that, that reminds us of, there, there's a great scripture, Ecclesiastes 3.11, that reminds us that God has placed eternity in our hearts, a longing for eternity. And the wonderful news for us is there is room for us in God's eternal home. Now this raises an obvious question, and fortunately for us, uh, Thomas jumps in and asks it for us. If there's a heaven, if there's room for us, how can we know the way? And for this, there, there's no mystery whatsoever. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus doesn't say, I am one of the ways to heaven. I am one of the ways to the Father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's a, this isn't really a joke, it's more of a, a cute little story. Uh, it's fabricated, but I think the point of it is true about a man who died and go, went to heaven. And as he was standing at the pearly gates, he, he found out that you needed 100 points to get into heaven. And so St. Peter is standing there as the story goes, and he says, what have you done in your life to earn these 100 points? And so he said, I, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. Uh, we were faithful to one another. And St. Peter goes, that's great. That's three points. He goes, um, yeah. Not much credit there. And then, and then the guy says, wow, that, that's a little, little harsh. And he says, all right, I was in church every single Sunday. I even sat on the same pew every single week. And St. Peter says, well, that, that's worth one point. And, and they keep going through, and he's just not getting anywhere. And he's like, there's no way I'm going to get in to 100 points. The only way I'll get in is by the grace of God. And St. Peter says, you're right. Come on in. And, and that story is a little fabricated, obviously. But I think that point rings true. Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the way to that home. And Jesus is the way that we experience that through the grace that is offered to us. But there's yet another question that arose for the disciples. All this talk about a heavenly home and how Christ is the way there leads to a question that at first may not seem like it has much to do with heaven. But I believe it actually hits on what heaven is all about. Philip asked Jesus bluntly, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Just show us the Father. And Jesus' response puts into perspective something that they were a little dull to, that they had not quite realized and seemed to grasp yet. He says, Jesus said to them, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Have, have you not noticed? Have you not been following along with everything that's been happening so far? But I think it's actually not Jesus' response that's the most intriguing for us in trying to understand heaven. I think it's actually the question. Because Philip is not satisfied knowing that there is room. He is not satisfied simply knowing that Christ is the way there. He only will be satisfied when he experiences the eternal presence of God the Father. 
Why is this question so important? Because I believe that sometimes when we think about heaven, we can get so caught up in what we think heaven is going to be like. We think of it as our own personal paradise with little wonton things from the Chinese restaurant or a certain kind of house that we never had in this life. That we miss the point of what heaven is supposed to be all about. Now, one of my favorite movies is the movie Field of Dreams. It came out in the late 80s, and when I was growing up, I loved watching this movie uh, because I, I grew up a baseball fan, a, a, a student of the history of baseball, and I, I loved this movie and everything that it was about. And I watched the movie, and as I got older, I realized that there's actually a little bit of a theological point at the end of it. Now, I'm not trying to imply that the writers in Hollywood had theological agendas when they wrote it. What I am trying to say is that I think if you watch it, it hits on something that is true within all of us. Now, the movie, if you haven't seen it in a while or you've never seen it, is about a guy who doesn't know anything about farming, becomes a farmer of corn in Iowa, and through a series of visions, and hearing voices, you know, real normal stuff, um, he decides to tear down the corn in part of his field and put up a baseball diamond. And this baseball diamond is not your ordinary baseball diamond. In fact, former baseball players who have gone on, passed on from this life, come back to this field and are able to play baseball. It's a completely legitimate movie that um, makes a lot of sense. And as the movie is going on, and you're watching it, off and on there's this discussion about Ray, the farmer, played by Kevin Costner, about his relationship with his father. He had been estranged from his father, and his father had died years before. Well, at the end of the movie, after the climactic scene in which, facing foreclosure from the bank, he decides we're keeping the field no matter what, Terrence Mann, who is played by James Earl Jones, goes with Shoeless Joe Jackson, a deceased ball player, and Shoeless Joe Jackson invites Terrence Mann, do you want to come out into the corn with us? Now, what, what does that mean? It means that they go and they walk through the corn and they kind of disappear. They go back to heaven, it's kind of the implication. And Ray, the farmer, is sitting there going, how come he gets to go? I thought, that's my corn, why don't I get to go? And he's like, all this time, I've never asked what's in it for me. And Shulish Joe Jackson turns to me and says, what are you saying? He said, I'm saying, what's in it for me? Shulish Joe Jackson says, I think you ought to stay. And at that point, he turns and he sees across the baseball field his father. And he goes up to his father, and his father has a great line. He goes, is this heaven? And... Uh, Ray goes, no, it's Iowa. Um, I guess it's easy to get those two confused. <laughs> but as they stand there, talking to one another, the farmer turns to his dad that he had been estranged from as a teenager and says, Dad, do you want to have a catch? And they start to throw the ball back and forward, and it's this tear-jerking moment within the movie that gets me every time. And one time when I was watching it, something hit me about it. I think so often in our lives, we're asking the question, what's in it for me? When we think about heaven, we think about 
what's going to be in it for me? That we miss the point that heaven, that life, is all about experiencing the presence of God the Father. And so we watch, as I watch that, I know it's, it's not a perfect metaphor. I don't think they had theological intentions when they wrote it. But I think that's what the disciples were getting at. And I think that's what they were starting to realize as they thought about a home beyond this life. Is that there is a heaven. We know this to be true. And that experience of heaven is all about not what we want. Not what we've constructed to be our own paradise. But living forever in the presence of God the Father. And the good news for us is that we can experience that. Christ has shown us the way. And so for you this morning, it might be that you need a helpful reminder that Christ is the way. For you this morning, it might be that you need to, to remember that heaven, that the Christian life, eternal life, is all about knowing God the Father. And what do we do in the meantime as disciples of Christ? <clears throat> We show heaven to others. We live into that experience of practicing the presence of God by, by worshiping together, by praying together, and offering heaven to those that we come encounter with. What is heaven like? It's a place where there's no more suffering. What can we do to offer no more suffering to those that we encounter? How can we show others the way to the Father? And so this morning... It's not a real invitation. There's more an open invite from Christ our Savior that says there is a home for you. There is a way to get there. And when you get there, and between now and till then, all of it is about experiencing the presence of God. As we close our worship this morning with uh, the singing of our last hymn, I invite you to stand as Ellen leads us uh, as we reflect on what heaven is all about.